you know, as we review the statement of faith, uh, we're in week four. You all talked about God. You talked about the Creator, that He's all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, that He's eternal. Uh, you've talked about the, the Bible. You've talked about the Word of God, that it's inerrant, it's perfect in its original manuscripts. Um, in the last week, you've talked about the human condition, that um, after the fall, we all have a sinful nature uh, that we need redemption from. Uh, and so today, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. And we're not going to talk about what he did and what he accomplished, as hard as that is, to separate who he is from what he did. Um, so we'll, we'll dabble in it a little bit, but I think Heath's going to preach on that next week. Um, but as you think about the, faith, the statement of faith, it builds on, each, on itself. And it's really important to think about week two and what we believe about the Word of God. Because what we know about the true nature of Christ is from the Word of God. And so you can't have one without the other. So there's going to be a lot of Scripture today um, that I'm going, to, I'm going to reference and read through. You're not going to have to jump back and forth. Um, so I'm going to start by just by reading the statement of faith in terms of Jesus Christ. I think it's going to be up on the screen. It uh, starts with, We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person and two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. So that's what we're going to deal, dig into today. We're not going to go uh, totally deep on each point, but we're going to spend a lot of time on a couple of them. So uh, before I start, let me pray one more time. Uh, Lord, just thank you for this chance to, to be with uh, friends at the bridge, a chance to worship. Uh, just thank you um, for, for a Sunday to spend time examining, Jesus, who you are and who you say you are. So Lord, I pray you'd, you'd use me, that you'd use a broken vessel to convey truth. I pray your spirit would uh, use your scripture to convict us, um, to help us hold to truth more firmly, uh, and if we don't hold them, to embrace them. So Father, uh, be with us this morning. I ask that in Christ's name. So as we talk about Jesus, who is this man? That's the central question of the Bible. That's the central question of history. It's the central question that's going to define everybody's eternity. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and I think most people have a view of Christ. Um, it's, not, it's pretty rare that you're going to find somebody who says, oh, I don't know anything about him, or I don't have an opinion, or uh, it's something that's debated, it's something that's always been debated, and, and something... Uh, that we need to focus on. And you'd have a lot of people say, I believe in Jesus. And, and so we'll talk about what does that mean? Who is this Jesus we believe in? So we see in the Bible, it's a constant question. Who is this man? In Luke 5, we see the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? We, do see, we see the disciples ask the question. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We see the crowds that ask this question. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And then we see Jesus, and Jesus asks his disciples, 
this central question. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question we're asked as well. And we'll see as we go through this, Christ is very clear about who he says he is. Uh, but not just in the Bible. I mean, different types of religions, different types of people um, ask that question. Uh, here's a quote that I think is, you know, kind of representative of maybe a moralist, a secular, maybe even an, you know, an agnostic, but um, says, I believe in the teachings of Christ. I think that's a good way to set your moral compass. And that's probably true. It is a good way to set your moral compass. Uh, but that is not what Christ came to do. You know, other world religions, um, Muslims believe in Esau. They believe in Jesus. They just don't believe that he was God. They believe that he was a prophet. They don't believe he was crucified. They don't embrace the Trinity. Um, different cults that have changed, changed the nature of Christ. Um, Mormons teach that Christ was a person who worked himself into Godhead, um, that he's the spirit brother of all of us, but also the spirit brother of Lucifer. Uh, you can't pray to Jesus. You can only pray to God the Father. Uh, Jehovah's Witness believe that Christ is the archangel Michael, or the archangel Michael, uh, the first angelic being that was created, but not eternal, not God. You know, saying you believe in Christ does not make you a follower of Christ. Uh, John Piper has a, a, a real direct quote. Neither Muslims nor anyone else truly worships the true God if they, re if they reject Jesus as he really is in the Gospels. So we're going to dig into who Jesus is, who he really is in the Gospels. And understanding that, we have to learn what Scripture tells us about his nature, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, um, and where he ascended to. So we're going to start with that he is God incarnate. And what that means, simply, is he is God, and he came. And that sounds pretty simple, um, but it's been a point of contention in the, in the, in the early church, and, and some people claim he wasn't God, he's lesser than God, uh, he's a created being, and so we're going to talk about that. Um, I'm going to go through scripture, and I'm going to kind of highlight some points that reinforce that. So John 1.14, now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. He came. We saw his glory, the glory of the, on, of the one and only, full, in, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only one, himself God, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. 1 John 4.2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh is from God. So we know it's important to, to confirm. He is God. He came in the flesh. Um, that's what it means. He is God and He has come. And we'll, we'll read some text about what, be, what the, the authors of the Bible say about Jesus, what Jesus says about Jesus. Uh, but I thought this was a, a good quote just talking about the attributes of Jesus. Jesus claimed to possess the very attributes of God. He claimed omniscience by telling Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He declared omnipotence by not only resurrecting Lazarus, but raising himself from the dead. 
He professed omnipresence by promising that he would be with his disciples to the very end of the age. Not only so, but Jesus said to the paralytic in Luke 5.20, Friends, your sin, friend, your sins are forgiven. In doing so, he claimed a prerogative reserved for God alone. So we affirm that he was God incarnate, and we affirm that he was fully God. The prophecies of the Old Testament always said the Messiah would be God. The authors of the New Testament are clear that he is God, and Jesus is clear that he is God. In Isaiah 9, 6, prophesying, for a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us. He he shoulders responsibility and is called extraordinary strategist, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He was mighty God. In Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And, in this, and this is the name by which he will call, be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So we know from the Old Testament that the Messiah, the coming one, would be God. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Romans, talking about the Jews, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. And in Colossians, for in Him, who, for in him Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells. So Christ was fully God. When he came, he didn't relinquish any of his attributes as God. And then we see what Jesus says to himself, says about himself. And we know it was very clear to the hearers of his day what he was claiming, because we see how they react. John 5.18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. John 10, 29-33, My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones against him to stone him. And why? Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So Jesus was clear in his proclamations. We can't say he was a good teacher, but he might not have been God, or he was kind of quasi-God. He had some of the attributes, or he gave them up when he came to earth. That's not not an an option uh, he leaves us. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis quote, I'm sure a lot of you know it, it's kind of the liar, lunatic Lord quote, but he says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You can't have it both ways, and that's why it's important to, we, we confirm the authority of Scripture. Because what everything he says about himself, we must embrace. We can't take some and leave the others. Why does it, why does it matter that Christ is fully God? You know, if we kind of give on that point, why does it matter? 
Well, Christ can only be the final and full revelation of God to us if He is God. His redemption of His chosen people can only be accomplished if He is God, if He's equal to God, because God is the one who is trespassed against. You have to have an ultimate an infinite sacrifice to cover up the infinite offense. So he was fully God. He was also fully man, and we affirm that. Uh, we see throughout the New Testament, you know, things that we, we, we have. He was hungry. I mean, we'd all be hungry if we fasted 40 days, but he, he was hungry. Uh, he was a child. He grew and became strong. He wept. Uh, praying to his father, he prayed with loud cries and tears to God. Hebrews 5, 7 to 8, he suffered when tempted and is able to help those who are being tempted. In Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we affirm Christ was fully man. At the same time, he was fully God. He identifies with us. It's such a reassuring thing to know that we have a Savior and a Lord who knows us and has been us. He didn't come here as God and kind of as a spirit and go through the motions and not really suffer as the Gnostics would have said. He came in bodily form, suffered, and can identify with us. And, and why does that matter? I mean, that's comforting. That's good. Uh, why does it matter? Because because he was man, he could overcome the sin of Adam. Uh, Romans 5, 18-19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So it matters that he was fully man because his sinless life and his sacrifice applies to us as men. It also matters because he identified with us, becomes like us. Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offsprings of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for our sins. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So we affirm that he was fully God. We affirm that he was fully man. The next thing the statement of faith talks about is two natures and one person. Uh, and so I think, Keith, did you already do the Trinity? Okay, so Heath can probably explain the Trinity really well. <laughs> so that you all understand that. And this is like easier because it's only two in one instead of three in one. Um, but that was a source of debate, you know, in the early church. Um, somebody would say, well, he wasn't really man. You know, he was a spirit. Kind of, he wasn't there when he was crucified or... He gave up some of, his, some of his nature at different times. And so uh, the early church, the Chalcedonian Creed, was, was there to specifically, I, specifically uh, rule on this subject. And it says, We all, with one accord, 
Teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son. Our Lord Jesus Christ is once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man. The distinction of natures is being in no way abolished because of the union, but rather the characteristic property of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person. So that's central to our faith. He was fully God, fully man, two natures in one person. And so that seems pretty basic. Most of you probably thought, oh, yeah, of course. I can't believe it took you 15 minutes to say that. Um, but it's something that's been, it's central to who our Savior is. It's going to be central to the efficacy of his work. And it's something that gets twisted. And when you start to unravel these things, like what we're talking about today are essentials. These are things you don't debate and say, well, you kind of, yeah, we're both Christians. You take that, I'll take this. And maybe he's God, maybe he's not. Sometimes things seem, that one's probably big. Y'all would be like, no, I never, um, you know, ignored the deity of Christ. But some of these things you might say, well, virgin birth, maybe we'll just kind of pull on that string. It doesn't matter. What happens when you start compromising on the essentials is that ultimately the power of our faith is gone and the truth of our faith is gone. And so that's why it's important to know these essentials uh, and be able to affirm them and be able to go to Scripture for them. So I beat that dead horse, and we're going to move on. So Christ was also Israel's Messiah. He was the promised Messiah. So we start in Genesis 3. We're told that the offspring uh, of Eve and Adam would crush the serpent's head. And the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, we're told that God promises to Abraham that he'd be made a great nation, and that nation would become Israel. But through that great nation, all peoples would be blessed. Specifically, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, in Genesis 49, Jacob's blessing the children, and he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, as we know Christ is the Lion of Judah. And to him shall be the obedience of all peoples, not the nation of Israel, of all peoples. Uh, we're told that David's offspring will come and rule, and the throne will be established forever. So we know it's not a worldly throne, it's not a worldly power, it's an eternal power. Uh, Matthew starts his gospel. Uh, if you think you can kind of take the Old Testament or the New, you don't have to worry about the Old Testament because it's kind of hard, and you've got to figure out what a lot of different things mean. Uh, Matthew starts the gospel by saying that Jesus is the son of David, son of Abraham. It builds on itself. It's one continuous story. And in Luke uh, 4, 16 through 22, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. At the woman of the well, he, spe he specifically says he's the Messiah. 
the woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to you, said, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, he is the Messiah. In Paul writing to his open Romans, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and in his holy scriptures. And we're talking about holy scriptures in the Bible. It's the Old Testament, right? Because when Paul's writing that, they didn't have the New Testament. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah, and as the Messiah, he did things that Israel could not do. Uh, you know, we give Israel a hard time for being unfaithful. He was faithful. When he was tested in the wilderness, he was faithful. He fulfills the law that Israel could not keep. We're told in him the law was fulfilled. Uh, he's the heir to the promises of God, the promises that God made Abraham, and through him we're heirs to those promises. And he fulfills prophecy. So we affirm that Christ was the Messiah of Israel, that he is the culmination of all Scripture, that it's all led up to him. And then next, uh, the statement of faith talks a lot about his life. We affirm that he was born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that he was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born to a virgin. Uh, and some people think that's crazy. Like, yeah, maybe I can believe all the other stuff, but it's hard to believe a virgin birth. Um, which is like, well, then how do you believe the resurrection or that God came to earth? So there's a lot of things, but that's something that people struggle with. Uh, we believe that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. So why does it matter? Why did they just say he's crucified? Why does the statement of say, say crucified under Pontius Pilate? I mean, it's an it's historical event. This isn't, you know, a fairy tale or, or a, um, you know, or an old story that has no basis, right? This was a real man, a real ruler. It's confirmed in all four Gospels that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Uh, and his crucifixion was important because it's essential to our faith. It's, we'll talk about it next week. And it fulfilled, and it fulfilled prophecy. He also, he also rose bodily from the dead. He wasn't just a spirit that ascended as a spirit. He was resurrected in a new body, in a new form. Um, he appeared in bodily form, appearing to the disciples in over 500. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, they confirmed that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, Paul writing. It was very clear that the bodily resurrection was important. Uh, and it was a new resurrection. It, who else had been resurrected? Lazarus had been resurrected. This is different than that. Lazarus was re uh, resurrected to die again. Christ was resurrected with an incorruptible body, never to perish. Does that matter to us? Does it matter that Christ was bodily resurrected? Um, Paul thought so. You know, he says, without the resurrection, our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain, and we'll, we're still dead in our sin. So it's important to our faith. It's important to this mat what we're doing here mattering. 
it's also important because we will be bodily resurrected, and there's value in the human body. Um, sometimes we think in a very spiritual context. There's the physical world matters. Our bodies matter. We'll be resurrected uh, to have an incorruptible body. And then where did Jesus go? He ascended into the heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. We know he was visibly taken from the apostles in Acts 1. Uh, it was prophesied that the Messiah would share the kingly rule. We've already affirmed he is the Messiah. Psalm 110.1 is the most frequently quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament. So I'm guessing it mattered. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So we know that he would, the Messiah would share in the kingly rule. And we also know he's our great high priest. Uh, he made the once for all sacrifice. In Hebrews 10, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. We have Christ as a great high priest. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He can sit because that is done. He sits ruling today and for eternity. And then this, this is the coolest thing. I mean, he advocates for us. You think that you have God ascended to heaven to be your advocate. In Romans, Paul writes, Who shall bring, him, bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us? So we affirm that he's ascended to heaven. We affirm that he's the great high priest. We affirm that he intercedes for us with the Father. Um, so in conclusion, we're not going to go into any of the other parts of this, but I say, as you go through the rest of the study, what we believe matters. Um, it matters for how we interpret Scripture. It matters for how we live our lives. It matters because if you don't know what you be believe, um, it's easier to be swayed by false prophets, by false teachers, by people who would teach another Christ or a different gospel which we're warned against, right? It's like the country song. You got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Um, it's not a new song, but yeah. So, uh, so what, what we believe matters. Um, and I would say also, if you read this statement of faith and you say, I don't know if I believe that. Um, I'm not, I like those points, but I'm not sure about that. I challenge you, you know, read the scriptures we can get it to you. It's on the FCA website. They have the statement of faith with all the scriptures that support the statement. Uh, and it was real encouraging to me and just to go through them and just kind of read all of them. And there's a lot of them, so it takes a little time. But to really show you where this comes from and, and why it's important and how, how um, concrete it is. So I'd say if you struggle with that, read it. Um, and I'd say if you don't, believe in this Christ, if you haven't believed in this Christ, believe in Christ. Believe in the true Christ. Fully God, fully man, who came, lived a sinless life, 
was, was crucified, was resurrected, who conquered death and intercedes for his people today. Believe in that. The most important question you'll ever answer is who, who, who do you say that I am? That's the thing that matters. Um, so spend time on it. If you, if you struggle with it, talk to your friends and community and, and, um, and pray that God would bring you that conviction. Uh, let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word, God, and thank you for your truth. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came. Um, thank you that you came to redeem us. Thank you that you came to overcome death. Thank you that you show us that we'll be resurrected uh, to live eternally with you, God. Uh, Lord, I just pray that um, these truths would matter to us daily, that we would hold firmly to them, uh, that we could see a counterfeit looming on the horizon, God, quickly and protect each other from that. Uh, thanks for this time, and uh, pray that you'd be glorified in all we do all the days of our lives. That's in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah.